0: Welcome, I'm Prudence Robertson, and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Under public scrutiny, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson made headlines last week after failing to clearly address questions about life and religious freedom. And five Democrats are calling for the resignation of pro-life Justice Clarence Thomas. We'll discuss these Supreme Court updates. One-on-one, we sit down with Virginia's Lieutenant Governor, Winsome Sears, who shares how she first got involved in politics and why she is in the business of defending unborn life. Pro-life grants. Six pro-life organizations received thousands of dollars in grants at this year's National Prayer Luncheon for Life. Karen Garnett, executive director of the National Prayer Luncheon for Life, joins us to discuss how the money will impact mothers and children nationwide. Republican Senator Susan Collins of Maine says she will vote to confirm Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown Jackson, giving Democrats at least one Republican vote and assuring Jackson will become the first black woman on the U.S. Supreme Court. Collins' support for Jackson comes a week after the judge received backlash from conservatives after failing to answer questions about abortion and religious freedom during her confirmation hearing. Most notably, Judge Jackson failed to define the word woman before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Meanwhile, Justice Clarence Thomas has been facing scrutiny from Democrats who have called for his resignation after messages surfaced between his wife and former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. And joining me now is Republican Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma. He sits on the Senate Committee on Finance, the Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs, among others. Senator, thanks for joining us. Let's first discuss the Supreme Court. A vote to recommend Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson's confirmation is expected to go before the full Senate next week. Now, do you believe she's fit to serve as a Supreme Court justice?
1: Well, obviously, she's got the legal qualifications on it, but when I look at the basic advice and consent role that the United States Senate has, I look at it and say, this is not a person that's clearly going to follow the original meaning of the Constitution, uh, nor has she been consistent in trying to be able to deal with things like, what is the role of the executive branch, what's the role of the Congress. There are even cases that she's had where Congress has explicitly told the judiciary they can't do something, and she's done it as a judge anyway that has major concerns on separation of powers, which is core to who we are as a country. So I'm meeting with her actually uh, tomorrow, and uh, we'll spend an hour together getting a chance to go through questions, but I have very serious concerns. And uh, clearly, I look at this as a person that's not going to follow through original meaning of the Constitution.
0: Mm, I see. And in other Supreme Court news, Democrats such as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar are calling for Justice Clarence Thomas to resign based on his wife's support for former President Donald Trump. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, pretty remarkable. To We have spent years and years and years saying, leave family members alone uh, in your government service. And then suddenly now, if they don't like the political views of a spouse, uh, they're going to try to kick out everyone that they don't like. Uh, so I assume that means that I can go talk to any spouse of, spouse of Nancy Pelosi's, the spouse of anyone else, and to be able to say, if I disagree with something, they need to resign their position. That's not how we run things as a country, nor should we uh, on their kids or on their spouse and such. So, at this point, They need to leave Justice Thomas alone. He is within his right to be able to be there and to be able to serve. Uh, yes, his wife is a conservative, but being a conservative is not a crime in America. Uh, that is actually well over half of the Americans would consider themselves conservative in their viewpoint and would have many, many questions just like she did.
0: Mm, indeed. And not to mention, Justice Thomas is one of the strongest defenders of life on the court. Um, I want to shift gears. The Biden administration is pushing through an illegal health and human services rule that would force taxpayers to combine payments for abortion with real family planning services. Could you- Tell us about the resolution of disapproval that you've introduced with your colleague, Cindy Hyde-Smith, to try and put a stop to this.
1: Yeah, so the most basic element of Obamacare when it went through and when it passed was this whole separation out that you wouldn't have abortion money that would be done in the insurance systems going to individuals that wanted to oppose abortion. This is where we've been as a country for decades now with the Hyde Amendment and not forcing people like myself, like yourself, uh, that see a child as a child and they're worthy of value, uh, not something to be thrown in the trash, that we're not compelled to be a part of the taking of that life while we still continue to be able to speak out for their life. Well, in the uh, current administration, they're trying to literally compel people to help pay for the taking of life through paying for insurance programs and such that do abortion. That is not consistent with the law, uh, as it was actually passed. And uh, that is something President Trump was outspoken to be able to protect and separate out. This administration is now trying to cram those things back together. And, yes, we'll have a what's called a congressional uh, resolution of disapproval to be able to put this out there, or a CRA, you'll hear it sometimes called as well, uh, to be able to vote, to be able to take that rule down, and we'll bring it to the Senate floor and challenge this.
0: Mm, Very important. And what other measures, aside from this resolution, could be taken to stop this action from the administration?
1: Well, it's been a big challenge for us to be able to stop the movement of abortion in this administration. This administration is the most pro-abortion president we have ever had in the history of our country. He's literally looking for places to be able to expand abortion internationally and in the United States. So, we have spoken out. We have done resolutions. We have done letters. I have brought in HHS leadership into committees, and we have done a face-to-face confrontation on this on the Hill. Uh, But they are determined to increase the number of abortions in America and worldwide, and to make people pay for it. So we're continuing to be able to look for leverage points uh, that the Congress has. The White House is using their leverage points to increase abortion. We're going to use our leverage points to decrease it. And we're still waiting on the Supreme Court to be able to speak in on the issue of the Dobbs case to be able to put an end-to-end. Into this entirely and take it all back to the states. And so state to state, we can determine how we're going to protect life. And uh, we're all looking forward to that in the days ahead.
0: Yes, we'll certainly be paying close attention to that. Thank you for your leadership and for your defense of life on Capitol Hill, Senator James Lankford.
1: Yeah, good to see you again.
0: Jamaican-born American politician Winsome Sears was recently elected Virginia's first black woman lieutenant governor. Having just completed her first legislative session in the role, we sat down with her to learn about her upbringing, how she got her start in politics, and how she is working with pro-life Governor Glenn Youngkin to defend life. Let's take a look at this special report. I am here with Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears of Virginia. Thank you so much for being with me today. I want to get started just by talking a little bit about your life up until now. How did you get started in politics? Mm -hmm. What values were instilled in you as as a child that uh, still ground you today? Well, I watched
2: my paternal grandmother and my maternal grandmother. I watched them help people. And you know, as a as a child, you're jealous because you want your your parents all to yourselves and your <laughs> grand your grandparents all to yourselves. But then, you know, now I understand. You know, you, you can't live this life alone. You have to help others. If you if you see somebody who needs help, you have to do that. So I saw, uh, sacrificial living modeled for me, and I also saw political life modeled for me. My my uh, father's mother was very big in politics in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she was like, I guess you would call her a precinct captain and all that. Wow. And, and uh, she had very, uh, very um, deep views about how life should be and that you should you know, work hard and, and, and do what you need to do to get ahead, that sort of thing. And, and so here I am. Uh, I ran for office because I wanted to help.
0: Right. And how has it been being lieutenant governor these first few months of the year? Well, the good part about it is this is not my first rodeo. Right. I was elected 20 years ago
2: to the House of Delegates, which for me is the House of Representatives, you know, in sure. the States. And, but I spent uh, two years there, was gone for 20 years, and I'm back. So I'm back as lieutenant governor now, and, uh, you know, I'm in second command of the former capital of the Confederacy. So people who say that America... Is, is racist? She hasn't changed, et How do you explain me? So anyway, um, we are in session for two months, right. and I preside over the Senate. I break tie votes, and of course, you know, if anything happens to the governor, then hello, you're looking at the next <laughs> governor. So we praise our governor Glenn Youngkin, and then um, uh, now I'm out and about, you know, visiting our communities. Uh, reading to our communities, you know, our children and uh, just making sure that things are getting done the Mm -hmm. way that they should be.
0: Yes, I was reading some local Virginia news today and the buzz is that women in Virginia are really breaking barriers. You know, Mm -hmm. We're at a Trailblazers event here for the RNC where you just won an award. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to you? The fact that you're the first black woman to be the Lieutenant Governor of Mm -hmm. this state and just the fact that women are really breaking barriers.
2: Well, I'm I'm also the first woman period to be Lieutenant Governor of Virginia. The, the, the thing about making history, though, is um, I don't really care about that uh, so much as, okay, so I'm, I'm the first. Well, what does that mean? You know, that's a day. The day is over, and now everybody wants to know who are you, what are you going to do, how are you going to help? So that's what I'm, I'm trying to do. I'm trying to show little girls and boys that, you know, if I can do it. Remember, I wasn't born here. So that that means they can do it, too. And I keep telling them to stay in school and study. That's all I did. I didn't have a lot of money, because I don't. I didn't have connections, because I didn't. (laughs) All I did was stay in in school and study. And then when I saw a need, I tried to fill it. Because, you know, I I have a saying. And uh, it's an old saying. And it's you can either curse the darkness or you can light a candle. To curse the darkness is to be a victim. I'm not a victim. So I offered myself as the solution, and that's what I'm hoping, you know, that they will see that that's an example that they can certainly be a part of because I did prison ministry. I was a homeless shelter director for women, and, you know, I've had my business. I did quite a few things. Mm. They can do that too.
0: Coming up. Lt. Governor Winsome Sears shares her thoughts on the outrageous pro-abortion views of former Virginia Governor Ralph Northam. Plus, five pro-life organizations were recently presented with pro-life impact grants, and one special org took home the pro-life impact award at this year's National Prayer Luncheon for Life. We'll tell you who they are next. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. The lieutenant governor of Virginia spoke to us about the outrageous pro-abortion views of former governor Ralph Northam and shares more about her role to defend the unborn in the Commonwealth. Our exclusive interview with her continues now. I wanna talk to you a little bit now about abortion. We are Mm -hmm. in a state where just a year ago, Governor Ralph Northam was someone who endorsed infanticide. He was okay with late-term abortion up till the moment of birth. Mm -hmm. And I know that you're pro-life, Governor Youngkin is pro-life. Could you talk about what this issue means for you and for your constituents in Virginia?
2: You know, we tried to get a bill through this session uh, because in Virginia, you're only in session Uh, for 60 days uh, during the long term and then you go home Mm -hmm. because the framers of Virginia wanted to be sure that you could do very little harm (laughs) as a legislature. So you pass some bills, you pass some laws, you get the budget going and then go home. Yes. Go home and and, you know go go work on your farm, go work on your business, go do whatever you're going to do. Leave the people alone. Mm. Less government is the best government, they (laughs) felt. So um, we tried to get a bill through which would protect babies up until you know, uh, and we couldn't get it through. The Democrats wouldn't support it, so it passed the House, but uh, the the, Senate, the Democrats still control the Senate by one vote, and we couldn't get it through the Senate. And so, uh, otherwise, if we could have just had one more vote, then I would have broken the tie, and we could have had the opportunity. To protect babies up until birth, mm-hmm. you know, from yes. abortion. But no, we couldn't get that through. Well, um, yes. So we're going to try again next year. The Senate will be up next year. And maybe we can get one more senator who is a Republican and we can get that through. Because how can it be that we can have a bill that was so barbaric that we had a governor at the time, Governor Ralph Northam? who is a pediatric surgeon, and he was advocating that you can have an abortion up until the baby, the day of the baby's birthday. And even if the baby is born alive, you leave the baby on the table to die. How could you, what kind of a society are we? How could we call other countries barbaric when we have, they just say,
0: look in the mirror first before you tell us how to live. Mm, Yes, I could not agree more. And looking at the national level, we have the Dobbs case before the United States Supreme Court, Mm -hmm. which could overturn Roe versus Wade. And like you say, America really needs to catch up on this. You know, Mm -hmm. countries around the world limit abortion, at least at some point. Mm -hmm. Here in the United States, we have no limit at all. So Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts about this moment for our movement and what it could mean for future children and future families? Yeah, you, we see in so
2: many other countries where, you know, they had sex selection, and so all of these girls are missing. You know, they have so many males and no, no female babies mm-hmm. for them. And then we, we see whole generations, you know, uh, where are the babies? Where are the children? So I say that we need to get involved. We have to stop being the silent majority if you care about children, if you care about babies. Let's get out there, and yes, protest, but continue to do those things like buying diapers, you know, and taking to the pregnancy care centers, buying cribs, buying baby clothes, formulas. Let's let's do those sorts of things. Let's um, find ways to get into the schools. So if they're going to talk about abortions and if they're going to talk about birth control, we can talk about adoption, not abortion. We can discuss alternatives. We need to to really um, put ourselves out there and advocate for life. Mm. Uh, Get out of
0: our our comfort zone and do that. Mm. I could not agree with you more. And we need to keep hoping and praying Mm -hmm. for a change in the culture. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, could you- And voting for people who support Our positions yes indeed could you speak a little bit about this event that just wrapped up the award that you received Mm -hmm. what it means to you to be here at this RNC Trailblazer event well it means again I'm an example of what
2: can be done Um, we we have to recognize of course those who have come before us I didn't get here by myself there are other people who have paved the way for me so that I could be here I could look at their example see what they did expand on it and here i am today and i'm hoping that others will say again winsome did it how did winsome do it i can help them and then they can be uh, successful politically as well right because this is just about winning elections this is about caring for our children's children living an mm-hmm. in inheritance as the bible says in proverbs The good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That's not just a money issue, Hmm. if it even is a money issue. It's about what kind of an America do we want to leave for our children? You know. We want them to have a good education. That's right. As well. Thank you so much. God bless America.
0: The Catholic University of America has named Peter Kilpatrick as its new president. He is the former dean of the engineering school at the University of Notre Dame. Kilpatrick is a chemical engineer who converted to Catholicism while in graduate school. Monse Alvarado of EWTN News in depth interviewed the incoming president about his pro life views. Let's take a look at what he had to say. Every
3: human life. Uh, has infinite value, infinite dignity. And and as I said in my remarks uh, earlier today during the announcement, I I think the focus of our university should be the supreme value of each and every
1: human person.
0: Kilpatrick did receive a pro-life award while at Notre Dame. You can watch more of his interview on EWTN News In-Depth Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern. A horrendous movement to encourage people to literally stop having kids is the focus of this week's Speak Out segment. A billboard ad spotted in Oregon directs passersby to a website called stophavingkids.org. I navigated to the website myself. Here are some of the truly heartbreaking slogans that I read. There is an unconscionable amount of suffering and death in the world. Birth is the catalyst for it all. Why is having children still celebrated? And having children is an ability, not an obligation. They also claim to be pro-choice all the way and profess anti-natalism, that is, anti-giving birth. The site even equates human beings with rational souls to animals, such as cattle and pigs. This group is celebrating one year since its founding. The people behind this depressing movement have a contorted, sad view of human existence. In fact, if we all thought like this, we would cease to exist. They believe that some people shouldn't have the same right to life that they enjoy simply because they might be born into hard circumstances. They fail to imagine just for a moment that every little child intended for this world has great capacity and potential to live a happy, fulfilled life. This is a direct attack on the family unit. God's first words to humanity were this, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. God must be restored to the culture of death that we are living in. Tens of thousands of dollars have been awarded to pro-life groups to help them advance their missions at the National Prayer Luncheon for Life. That is this week's pro-life focus. The annual Prayer Luncheon for Life just took place in Dallas, Texas, organized by Heroic Media and emceed by pro-life leader David B. Wright. At the event, which was initially founded to counter Planned Parenthood's annual awards lunch, life-affirming groups were awarded with pro-life impact grants to help them continue their work of empowering mothers to choose life. People anywhere in the country can vote for the winner, and this year's winner was Live Action, receiving a $50,000 grant to advance their mission. Other awardees receiving a portion of grant money included Embrace Grace, the Radius Foundation, Pro-Life Ministries, Support After Abortion, and the Pro-Life Action League. And joining us now is Karen Garnett, Executive Director of the National Prayer Luncheon for Life. Karen, thanks for joining us. Talk to us about the initial inspiration for this luncheon. How many years have you all been doing this?
3: Thank you so much, Prudence. It actually began in 2016. It was the the brainchild of the founder of Heroic Media, Brian Follett. He wanted us to have a prayer luncheon to be counter to Planned Parenthood's annual award luncheon held in Dallas. And the first one was held in 2016. It had 650 people, and it had prayer, but it was also designed to be a fundraising luncheon for Heroic Media's internet ads. We go head-to-head against Planned Parenthood every day on the internet to reach Abortion Determined Women and redirect them away from Planned Parenthood and connect them to pregnancy help center partners that we work with, so they have the opportunity to choose life. So we fundraise for our uh, our mission while Planned Parenthood was fundraising and giving awards to continue their death agenda, and that grew over the years to, in in 2020, we actually had nearly 3,000 people gathered in person. We both outnumbered and outraised Planned Parenthood, and that was five days before the global pandemic was announced, and the world changed completely, as we all know. So many events went virtual. Planned Parenthood didn't even have their awards luncheon in the spring of 2021, And Brett Atterberry, who comes to Heroic Media from the corporate business world, and he's been with us since 2015, he had been elevated to president and CEO of our company in November of 20. And in prayer, he he came to me and said, you know, Karen, I really believe the Holy Spirit is is giving us a new vision and a new direction for the National Prayer Luncheon for Life, not a little bit of prayer and fundraising for us. We can fundraise in other ways, but to really make it a prayer-centric very heavily prayer-centered event led by multiple prayer leaders through what we call the Hour of Power, and to focus outward and to give the Pro-Life Impact Award and Pro-Life Impact Grants to amazing organizations who are doing incredible work out in the country. Mm. And so last year, 2021, was our our first one to do it this way, and we, uh, the the Students for Life of America received the Pro-Life Impact Award and the $50,000 grant. And then there were none received the $20,000 grant and Sidewalk Advocates for Life received our $15,000 grant.
0: Mm, yeah, such an important hands-on mission. And tell us about the decision to give Americans across the country the opportunity to be the ones who choose the winners of these grants.
3: So again, this comes from from Brett's vision. We we produce Pro-Life Magazine four times a year as well. And that is where we are, are putting, uh, sharing the profiles of high impact pro-life organizations. And again, he comes from the business world and he has people from the business community all asking him often, who are, who is the pro-life movement? Mm -hmm. What are the organizations in it? What do they do? How do they measure their impact? What are their metrics? And, and so that, that's exactly what we're doing here. We, we look at, we we opened it up for 2022. We actually opened up the nominations from across the country to because they're not there are some organizations that we aren't even aware of. There are so many thousands of pro-life organizations when you when you add up the, those at the national, state, and local levels. And there may be a small pro-life organization doing amazing work and they're measuring and we don't know about them. So we wanted to give them an opportunity to 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 be elevated as well. So the the mission national pro-luncheon for life is to elevate and celebrate high impact pro-life organizations so that together we can accelerate winning more battles and ultimately winning the war to protect pre-born human lives from abortion
0: and what are some of the ways these grants are actually impacting the lives and mothers of babies can you share with us about that
3: yes it it is it's just beautiful what's happening this year i will share with you the the uh six organizations who were on the ballot for 2022 were, in alphabetical order, Embrace Grace, Live Action, Pro-Life Action League, Pro-Love Ministries, Support After Abortion, and the Radiance Foundation. Those were our, our nominee organizations for this year, but also at our event held on the Feast of the Annunciation, the Solemnity, last Friday, Kristen Hawkins was our final prayer leader, our final speaker and prayer leader before this year's award and grants were announced live. Kristen was coming back because Students for Life of America received the, the award and the top grant last year, and she actually shared part of what they did as a result of receiving that $50,000 grant. They launched their post-Roe project, their after row project, where they were, were going door to door. They knocked on 107,000 doors, Kristen said, to, to talk to people about abortion, And do they really know what abortion is and to help change minds about abortion? And part of what they discovered was that the pro-life movement truly isn't really known. The American public doesn't know who we are as a movement. And so when we are giving these $100,000 in pro-life impact grants and investing them back into these organizations that are helping move the ball down the field. We're, we are helping to, to educate more people across the country about life mm. and embracing life and helping moms choose life and supporting mothers at the local pregnancy centers. And in, in the case of Embrace Grace, having more groups formed in the churches so that the church will be the first place a mother will go to rather than the last place because of shame, it will also help to bring the healing to the—there are so many who are wounded from abortion, the tragedy of abortion, and to be able to connect them to healing. We helped do uh, nationwide research with s- support after abortion, and it, it was stunning. Nine out of 10 who participate women 3,000 women—who participated in this the research study, nine out of 10 couldn't name where to go for healing. Or they said Planned Parenthood, and and we know we've been in the movement for decades, and we know hundreds of, of healing programs are available, and yet if people don't know about them, then they can't get connected to help. So uh, this is part of what we do. This is our mission: is to help raise the profiles, to help get the word out, and let people know that there are amazing pro life organizations just doing amazing work to help moms. Uh, just, again,
0: yes, a, a yes. Yes, and at this, at this turning point for our movement, that couldn't be more important. So thank you so much for being with us, Karen Garnett of the National Prayer Luncheon for Life. God bless.
3: Thank you. God bless you, too.
0: That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing pro at EWTN.com. we love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.